Hi, I'm Loralee Siemens, and today I'm answering questions people have sent me over social media. So for the last two weeks, I've planned on answering questions that I've gotten on social media, but each week something has come up that I ended up addressing in the podcast and that took up all my time. So this week, the entire podcast is going to be answering questions, but I also have something else to talk about because I'm going to be taking a break for the summer, but I'm just taking a break from this particular podcast, which is where we pick uh, usually two or three hot topics that are in the news and talk about the history behind that. But I have a brand new podcast coming out this summer and it's going to be starting next week and we're going to be going through church history. So next week, tune in normal and you're going to have a regular episode. But what I'm going to do is once a week on this podcast, you will have an episode of church history. But if you will log on to my other podcast, then you will get two or three a week. So depending on what you are more interested in. So next week when you come on this podcast, you will have more details about that and um, one episode that you can listen to and figure out if that's something that you want to jump over to the other podcast and hear all about. But we're definitely going to be diving into lots of church history and you'll have all the details about that next week. Um... But if some major things do happen in this summer, I will put out a few bonus episodes so I can talk about them. I am, however, going to be doing a bunch more YouTube videos. So you can check out those videos, YouTube videos, and I am going to be talking more about history of things happening in the news. We're going to talk about the UN and about Israel and all those kinds of things over on the YouTube channel. So you can check that out. Um, before I jump in, a little reminder, please check out my website, lauraleesiemens.com, because you're going to find my other podcast, Gifts from God, which is my fostering and adoption podcast, where I tell stories of different families who are fostering or adopting, and we also talk about different issues related to that topic. All right, so questions that I have gotten. So I had a lot of questions sent to me about abortion, but I'm only going to answer two of them because last episode that I did last week, which you can go back and listen to, the entire episode was about abortion, and I answered most of the questions that I got on that episode. But I am going to read two questions I've gotten since then to discuss. So the first question I got was in in response to a post I made about um, how sad it was that so many people were talking so flippantly about the abortions that they had. And there was one in particular who posted a picture of their aborted baby and said that they tried to abort the baby two times, but it finally died and how it was such a fighter. Um, The thread actually on that post was a lot of people mocking and making fun of the tiny human that was pictured and that was dead. It was actually pretty disturbing. So this is what someone wrote to me about that. All right, here's they wrote. 
Why are you so upset? Imagine a generation raised by these people. We certainly don't need that. So let them abort their failures and do society a good. All right, I actually got similar reactions to this when I did a podcast about young women who had decided not to have babies because they wanted to save the environment. So people said good, and they can't pass on their crazy ideology to the next generation. The problem is that in that situation, they were still getting pregnant. They were just not letting their children live. Now, I agree that people who mock dead humans, especially one who was killed, after apparently fighting to not be killed is pretty sick and probably they're not going to make the best parents. Also, the person who would kill their own child as a way to save the environment is probably not someone who's going to be a wonderful influence on the next generation. However, there are two things that I see wrong with this argument. One, sometimes, and actually often, being a parent changes you. Now, I know I am not the same person I was before I had children. So someone who is mocking the death of an unborn child may feel very differently once they've had a child themselves. But more than that, the entire debate about abortion rests on the idea that all human beings should have human rights. So it makes no difference who your parents are what crazy ideas your parents hold, your human rights are not subject to who or how ignorant your parent is. Okay, the next question comes in answer to my video about the history of abortion in Canada. So in this video, I stated correctly, actually, that we do not have any law in Canada right now about abortion. So I was sent this response. 2018 Safe Access to Abortion Service Act comes into effect in Ontario that allows for safe access zones to be established around facilities that offer abortion services as well as the homes and offices of regulated abortion providers. It's based largely on the BC's law. All right, so this woman was sending me this law to prove that I was wrong about laws on abortion that there is a law that we have in a few provinces. I know Ontario has it and BC has it. So this law is called the bubble zone law. What it does is it makes like a bubble zone around any place that offers abortion, making it illegal to hold any kind of protest against abortion within eyesight of the abortion clinic. So you can't stand and peacefully pray, even if you have no sign. If you're just standing there, praying silently, but it's in protest of abortion, you will be arrested and you could face jail time. And two men have been arrested so far and both were elderly. Um, One had no sign at all and one had a sign that said free speech. So he wasn't even protesting abortion. He was protesting the law that he thought went against free speech. One of those men passed away before his court date and the other has not actually had his court date yet. So that is not a law about abortion. That is a law about protesting and free speech. It does not set any limits on abortion. It does set limits on protesting against abortion 
And if you can't see the problem with that, you're just not trying. So to be clear, you can have an abortion at any point in the pregnancy for any reason at all, and it will be 100% paid for by the taxpayer. You could get an abortion because your child has Down syndrome, or you broke up with your boyfriend and just changed your mind, or you got a promotion at your job and changed your mind about having a baby, or you really want a boy. So you can get pregnant and take care of your baby until you find out the sex, and if it's a girl, kill it and then try again and just keep doing that until you get a boy. All legal, and by the way, all paid for by our tax dollars and legal at any point in the pregnancy. That's all legal. What you cannot do, what is against the law, is to stand outside an abortion clinic and pray. So, to the person who wrote me that, nice try. We still do not have a single law on abortion. Okay, if you want to know more about abortion and my answers to all of those questions, I have a video series on my website called The Abortion Debate. So go to lauraleesiemens.com, click on the videos, and then you'll see on that page, there's a a link that says series. Click on the series so you can find all the different series that I have and click on The Abortion Debate. I have got, I think, 15 videos up there that answer all of those questions. All right, the next question that I have. What do you think about the PPC party and are you going to vote for them? All right, so I am very intrigued by the PPC party and that is the People's Party here in Canada. And I really wish it wasn't called the People's Party in Canada. Um, PP party, I mean, it's not a great name. People's Party, uh, it's an awful lot of really terrible communist parties that have that as their name. So I don't love the name, just for starters. But it was started by Maxime Bernier, and he ran for the head of the Conservative Party, and he lost by just a couple of votes. Now, I'm a member of the Conservative Party, and I voted for Andrew Scheer. Now, that's going to make some of you angry, because I know a lot of people don't like Andrew, but let me explain why. First, my main goal that I want right now in Canada is to get a law on the books on abortion. At the very least, we need to stop killing fully developed babies. So for me, that's that's not just a huge priority, it is the priority. I would vote for just about anyone if there was a chance they could do that. So when we were voting for the head of the party, there was two very pro-life candidates. There was a guy named Pierre and a guy named Brad Trost. So I actually voted for them first and Andrew was my third vote. So how it works, in voting in the Conservative Party is that they everyone votes and then whoever's in last place gets dropped off. And then if you voted for that person, they'll take your second vote. Then they recount it and then whoever's in last place again drops off. And they keep doing that until somebody has 50% of the vote. So you can vote for like three or four people. And if the people on the bottom get dropped off, then your vote goes to the next person. So I had voted for Pierre first, Brad Trost second, and Andrew was my third. Now, there's a group called Right Now, and they interview the candidates and they give them a pro-life grade. So Andrew and Max actually have similar grades. They both said they would not vote to end abortion, and they both said they would allow private member bills and would allow people to vote their conscience. So lately, actually, as in like yesterday, 
Max has come out with some very pro-life tweets and I really wish I would have seen that before uh, I voted for the head of the conservative party because that would have changed my mind. If Andrew had talked about abortion during the conservative race the way he's talking about it now and if Max had talked about abortion during the conservative race the way he's talking about it now I would have voted very differently. In fact, since I knew ahead of time Pierre and Brad really had no chance of winning, I may have put Max as my first one on my list. So I wish that they would have both been more honest about how they feel about abortion during that race. But they didn't. They both had the same stance, so they were equal at the time. So when I looked at the two of them, Andrew has a family with a lot of children and Max is not married. Plus, there's a story of Max dating someone who had ties to the Hell's Angels. There's also a story where he left documents out in the open and a different girl he was dating uh, had seen them and published them. So when I looked at the family life of the two, that kind of put Andrew over the edge. Also, Andrew speaks English and French fluently. And I thought at the time that this was really important because we need votes in Quebec. And also the Western provinces don't trust people who struggle with English. And English is very clearly a second language for Max. Andrew also had a low to middle class upbringing, and I kind of felt like he would understand the people more. My second biggest issue after abortion is our border. However, at the time of the vote, neither Max nor Andrew were saying anything about the border or about immigration. Like the only one who was doing that was Kelly, and I didn't vote for her. For one thing, she has the most annoying voice ever. And I know there was no way people across Canada were ever going to vote for her. Secondly, she only talked about immigration. And at the time, I didn't think we had as severe a problem as what she was saying. Now, to be fair, Kelly was right. We are in trouble. And she saw it coming when no one, including me, listened to her. Now, here's a huge problem with how the elections work. Since the elections, I have heard Max speak on different issues Uh, And in different shows, I saw him on the Rubin Report. And on the Rubin Report, he was fantastic. I agreed with everything he said. Now, had I heard that before I voted, I would have voted for Max instead of Scheer. The problem is that our debates are in both English and French. So there is an English debate and a French debate, but the candidates speak both languages in both. So when I'm watching the English debate, this very annoying woman with zero emotion translates every time they speak in French. And since half the time they change halfway through an answer, it's extremely annoying. So I don't get to hear any of the passion in their voices. And I have a really hard time sitting through the debates and and I end up hating them, hate all of them, because I'm just angry by the constant language change. And I love debates. I watch all the American ones. And I think if I'd heard Andrew and Max debate without the weird interpreters, I probably would have come out with a different idea. After the election ended, Andrew kind of seemed to disappear. And I thought I had made a really bad choice because he didn't seem to be leading. But there was a voice in the conservative party that really grabbed my attention. That is Michelle Rempel. Now, Michelle was really a star of the conservative party. She understands how to use YouTube. Uh, She does these really simple, short videos, and I feel like she's talking directly to me. She's funny. She's passionate. She's real. 
And she talked about the border issues. And that was really a big part of me realizing that Kelly was probably right. We do have a problem. Michelle's videos covered uh, what the media was not covering and actually kind of made me feel like I was in parliament every single day. But then Michelle started blocking people on Twitter and not just the ones who were like obviously harassing her, but anyone who seemed to disagree with her. And as somebody who loves free speech, that was really concerning to me. Then she posted a picture of her friend. And I'm not going to pronounce this name right, Morgane Ogre. Anyway, she spoke at Morgane's fundraiser and then she posted about how much she loves Morgane. Now, if you don't know who Morgane is, there's some serious problems. So Morgane is a male to female transgender, but that's not my problem. Here are my problems. One, Morgane has a foundation that does not have charity status and she's being sued. Morgane is being sued for $100,000 by an Indian brand because Morgane did not pay rent that they were supposed to pay. Feminists have come out condemning Morgane because um, Morgane's been harassing and threatening women. And Morgane's also known for being really mean and being really nasty. In fact, the one thing Morgane has done is he's brought together Muslims, Christians, Sikhs, Koreans, Chinese, Romanians, Russians, unions, and feminists because they all hate Morgane. The biggest problem with Morgane is that he's putting together a hate map. So Morgane wants a map of Canada and anyone that Morgane considers to be hateful is going to be highlighted on this map. So if I post a video saying, I don't think male to female trans should be allowed to compete against female athletes because that's not fair, I could end up on this map. Like my house could end up starred on this map as a place where hate people live. That's a freaking big deal. And I have huge concerns that Michelle Rempel is part of this. So free speech is a must and the conservatives actually really need to address this. So why do I like Max now? Well, Max is all about free speech and I wish I could have heard more about that before the election. He's not afraid to be politically incorrect. I really like that about him. Um, in my area where I'm voting, I actually don't really like the PC candidate and I like the PPC candidate better. However, in the town next to me, my favorite conservative candidate is running and that's where I used to live, so I used to vote for him. So I am actually going to be volunteering for the conservative candidate in that area because I think he's amazing. So there's a chance, actually, that I'm going to volunteer for one conservative candidate while at the same time voting for a different party in my area. I don't know yet, and I haven't decided. So why do I like Sheer? Well, I still like he's a family man. Um, I like that he's going to allow people to vote their conscience on abortion. I don't like how strong he is right now on speaking against abortion. He wasn't doing that before and that makes me kind of angry. I don't like how he is pandering to the Muslim community by visiting mosques and taking pictures. And I really don't like that he picked one of the most radical mosques in all of Canada and took pictures with an imam who has a video about how to correctly beat your wife. I don't like that he took pictures with that guy. Um, but I really, really, really hate Trudeau. And there's a possibility I will vote for Sheer just out of how much I hate Trudeau because I don't think the People's Party can win. So 
I actually don't know what's happening yet. We have all the way till October to see what's going to happen. Um, but that's my thoughts on the PPC party. All right, the next letter comes, um, I was talking about Iran, in particular about the Iran revolution, and that I believe that the Iran revolution should be taught in school, and this is a letter that I got. I agree, I've been labeled a liar only for mentioning the Iran Iranian revolution. A good friend of mine, a veterinarian, assisted the Persian government in the 70s to establish effective large-scale chicken farms in the desert where heat, water, and sanitary conditions were a challenge. He was held hostage in Tehran for two months during the revolution. Many of the people he worked with were either imprisoned or executed. So thank you for sharing this story. Um, I'm going to do a whole video on YouTube on the Iranian revolution in the really near future. And this is a story people need to know about. We in the West... Um, only a, we're only a few election cycles away from voting in Sharia law. So if you don't believe me, it only takes 147 votes to pass. And they don't care what party they're in. They just need to have 147 of them to vote yes. So how long until we have 147 pro-Sharia law people in parliament spread out across all the parties? Well, we are thinking four to eight years. That's how most of us think. And they're thinking in terms of 50 to 100 years. And when we're thinking parties like the Green Party, the NDP Party, Liberal Party, Conservative Party, they just think Sharia, non-Sharia. And they will go to whatever party is going to vote them in and so that they can vote in Sharia law. They don't actually care what party they're in, whatever party is going to get them in. So that's a problem. Um, Iran... They went from miniskirts and bikinis to burqas in just one year. So something that we have to learn about and we need to study about, we need to be concerned about when we are voting. Um, so the next two letters I got from atheists. So the last two letters I'm going to talk about, both of them come from atheist. All right. This next lovely message was in response to my pro-life message. It's short and sweet. You are part of the Christian Taliban. So there is actually no Christian Taliban, obviously. That's Islam. Um, no Christian is out there trying to enslave people. But I actually hear stuff like this all the time. And it's the idea that there's actually no difference between Islam and Christianity. Now, the Taliban is chopping arms off people, stoning women, forcing women to dress in burqas, whipping people, not allowing women to go to school, shooting little girls in the head for going to school. You're mad at me for not wanting to kill tiny humans. So I'm trying to stop you from chopping off the arms of tiny humans. I'm telling women they don't actually have to choose between jobs and parenting. They can do both. I don't care what women wear. Not only do I want girls in school, I think schools should help girls who are pregnant or moms so going to school is easier. I feel like I'm very much not like the Taliban. I'm kind of the opposite. And this is particularly disturbing because currently Christians are being killed en masse worldwide. In fact, it is Christians that face the most persecution in our world. No other religion is targeted as harshly as Christianity. 
Even Jews, which is very much a targeted religion and are probably a close second, but even Jews are not targeted as much as Christianity. According to the International Society for Human Rights, 80% of the world's religious persecution is aimed at Christians. 80% of all of the world's religious persecution, 80% of that aimed at Christians. There is now... 139 countries that are actively persecuting Christians. In fact, every hour, 11 Christians are killed. That means while you listen to this podcast, which would probably be around around an hour, 11 Christians will be killed for their faith. That is one Christian every six minutes killed because they're followers of Jesus Christ. We're talking 90,000 Christians a year. In fact, more Christians died for their faith in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined. So if you take from the start of Christianity all the way up to the start of the 20th century, and you take all the Christians killed for their faith during that time period, more Christians were killed in the 20th century than all of those centuries before. And the 21st century is already starting out far worse than the 20th century. In Islamic countries, 90% of the Christians have been wiped out. So to compare Christians to the Taliban is not only ignorant, it's lying about the most persecuted, in danger religious group in the world. And I hear from many different atheists that all religions are equally bad and they point to things people have done, parts of history affected by religion. So for Christians, it's things like the Salem witch trials, the Inquisition, the Crusades, and some truths and some lies and some misconceptions surround our history. And that's actually why I'm starting my church history podcast. So the Inquisition, let's look at the Spanish Inquisition. That was 350 years that that took place. And during those 350 years, 2,000 people were killed. So we're talking about five a year. Now, the Crusades is much more complicated, and I even might say justified. But you'll have to wait for that for an upcoming episode in the new podcast. The Salem Witch Trials, a total of 18 people were killed. Now, 2,000 killed in the Inquisition is 2,000 too many. And 18 killed in the Salem Witch Trials is 18 too many. And I'm going to be talking about some of those things in our church history podcast. However, what atheists need to remember is that they have a history also. Mao killed 78 million people and he died in 1976. Stalin killed 23 million people and he died in 1953. Pol Pot killed 1.7 million people and he died in 1981. Kim Il-sung killed 1.6 million people and he died in 1994. And Mangustu killed 1.5 million people and he died in 1991. Every one of those men were atheists and Marxists. 
and they killed in the name of both atheism and Marxism. They killed anyone who was not an atheist. And the Marxist philosophy says that religion is the opium of the masses. I would say atheism has more blood in their history. Also, atheism has a more recent history of killing people. In fact, while Christians are not holding witch trials today and Christians do not have inquisitions today, atheists are still pushing Marxism and are saying things like religion is the opium of the math masses. Atheism today is still pushing for the death of religious people. So if you're an atheist and you think your history has no problems, you need to pick up a history book and then also you need to think about what you are trying to spread today. All right, the last question that I have is this. You only believe in God because you were adopted into a Christian family. If you had been adopted in India or China or by a Muslim family, you would not be a Christian. You have never had an original thought about God. You've never thought for yourself. All right, there is a lot wrong with this question. So first I'm going to break down what's wrong with the question. And then I'm going to answer what I think you are trying to say. So for starters, India and China are not religions. And it's also a little bit racist to assume only white people are Christians. So for starters, to educate you a little bit, um, let's divide up all the Christians worldwide and what areas of the world they live in. So there's about 1.2 billion people worldwide that claim to be Christian. So 1.2 billion Christians in the world. So where do they live? Well, in Europe, that's about quarter of the Christian population living in Europe. Uh, if you took Latin America and the Caribbean, put them together, that's about another quarter. So we're at about half. Um, Africa is 24% of Christians in the world. So we're at around another quarter. Then Asia is um, about 13%. And if you took all of North America, all the Christians in North America, they only make up 12% of the Christians worldwide. So to assume that I would not know about Christianity if I lived outside North America is actually incredibly ignorant. Now, as far as if I had been adopted by Muslims, well, I obviously don't know a whole lot about Islam because they are actually anti-adoption. Um, that's because Muhammad, Muhammad actually had an adopted son and then his son got married. Then Muhammad saw his daughter-in-law getting dressed and wanted her as his own wife. And the son said, no, obviously, she, he, she's my wife. And then eventually the son said, well, okay, fine, you can have her. And then Muhammad was like, no, it's fine. I don't have to have her. And then he had this dream from God saying, how dare you say you don't have to have your daughter-in-law as your wife? I didn't tell you that. So then he ended up marrying his daughter-in-law. And people were all, hey, Muhammad, you can't marry your daughter-in-law. So then Muhammad ended adoption. And so now Muslims can't adopt. So I would not have been adopted into a Muslim family because they don't do that. So the question, I'm going to read the question again. You only believe in God because you were adopted into a Christian family. If you've been adopted in India or China or by a Muslim family, you would not be Christian. You've never had an original thought about God. You have never thought about it yourself. So that question is pretty flawed. And you're showing your lack of knowledge on world religion, 
which is ironic since you're implying that I know nothing about religion and only accepted what I was told as a child. So I'm going to rewrite your question without all the ignorance. I think what you were trying to say is that you're only a Christian because you were raised in a Christian home. Now, it is true you are more likely to accept Christianity as a child. So if you went into a church and you asked everyone who's a Christian, raise your hand. And then if your next question was, all right, anyone who became a Christian before age 12, keep your hand up. Most of them would still have their hands raised. Not all, because there are a lot of people who become Christians as adults. And that's actually more common in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian, which is a whole different topic. There's a lot of Muslims who are turning to Christianity. Once again, a whole different topic. But if we go with, you're more likely to be a Christian if you learned about it as a child. So let's just go with that. Does that make it non-truth? Now, I also learned math as a child. Um, I learned to read as a child. Does that mean adding and subtracting are not truth? Does that mean letters do not really form words? In fact, most of what you believe, you probably heard as a child. I was recently reading a paper, um, The Brain Development in Early Years, by Wisconsin Council on Children and Families. I'm reading about this for a blog I'm writing on adoption. And it says, children are born ready to learn. They cultivate 85% of their intellect, personality, and skills by age five, five. So in fact, most of what we learn in high school, we're gonna forget. Um, It's what we learn in elementary school that ends up sticking with us. And only the things that we continue into adulthood end up remaining. That's why we can help our kids with math homework in elementary school, but not in high school, even if we did really well in high school ourselves. It's why we all knew basic French in high school, but now what can you do? You could probably count and say a few phrases that you learned in elementary school. So I could say to you, you only know how to read because you learned it as a child. You only know basic math because you learned it as a child. So the question isn't, do I believe in Christianity? The question is, is it true? That's what matters. It doesn't matter why you believe in it. It doesn't matter how young you were when you learned about it. The question is, is it true? Um, You were also implying from this statement that I am brainwashed. And I would actually say Christians are the least brainwashed group in the world. And let me ask you something. How many opinions do you have that all of the celebrities have the same opinions? So if celebrities and mainstream media all have the same opinions that you have, maybe you are the brainwashed person. I'll give you some examples. Finish this sentence for me. Islam is a religion of... Now, if you immediately said peace, why? Why did you say peace? How do you know that? Have you read the Quran? Can you point to a single Islamic country that is a peaceful, wonderful place everyone wants to live in? Do you have any proof at all that Islam is a religion of peace? And yet... That is the first word that comes to your mind when I say Islam is a religion of why? Perhaps you are the brainwashed one. What about this? Abortion should be a woman's. 
If you immediately put in the word choice, why? Could it be that you've been brainwashed to use the word women's choice instead of abortion? How about this? All white people have white... Now, did you just think about the word privilege? Ten years ago, I would even say maybe five years ago, if I went to a random person and I said, all white people have white, they would look at me and say, they'd have no idea how to finish that sentence, but they're pretty sure whatever sentence you're trying to say sounds racist. And actually it is. To say all white people have white privilege is racist. And 10 years ago, we would have all thought that was a ridiculous thing to say. And yet now almost everyone believes this. How about this? Use a metal straw and save the Now, if you said save the ocean or save the turtles, why? Is there any chance at all that your straw is going to end up in the ocean up a turtle's nose? Have you ever thought through the logistics of that? Or do you simply just have that sentence in your mind? Here's how it works. See, we have TV, we have people around us, we have music, we have social media. And once a famous person catches hold of an idea and a sentence and starts repeating it over and over, then other people around you start repeating it. And then things you don't believe in, suddenly you do believe in. This is conforming to the patterns of the world around you, which is another word for saying brainwashed. And actually part of being a Christian is spotting these patterns and training ourselves to think critically about what we are allowing ourselves to believe. We are actually trained to not conform to the patterns of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We actually actively work at not being brainwashed. And if a Christian is the only one holding a different opinion than the rest of the crowd, then what one is brainwashed? The crowd that all believes the same thing, even though they probably couldn't prove it, or the one person in the middle of the crowd who holds a different opinion? Now, there are many people who grew up in Christianity and who walked away. And this is also proof, actually, that learning about Christianity as a child does not mean you will accept it as a child. There are many things I believed about life as a child that I do not hold on to anymore. Christianity, to be real, must be accepted individually by individuals. You can't be raised in a Christian home and then automatically be a Christian. So why am I Christian? Well, I've listened to lots of debates about Christianity and why believing in God is real. And I could go into all of those arguments with you. But to be honest, none of those things are why I believe. And my journey did start young. I remember being five years old and realizing that I had not personally asked Jesus to forgive my sins. And I remember praying with my parents in my bed at night. But I have other memories that are actually more vivid than that night. I remember being in grade seven and there was a bunch of stuff going on. Um, War was starting in the Middle East. We were talking about abortion and euthanasia in school. I had just seen a picture of a child laying beside its dead mother on a cover of a newspaper um, from a massacre that had happened in Africa. And I was thinking about God and why the world was so bad if God was real. And I was in the forest. I'm walking along the path in the snow and it was after an ice storm. And I remember I stopped 
Then I ended up laying down on the path and looking up at the trees. And they were all silver from the frozen snow. And I could see the sun above shining down through these silver trees. And I felt like at that moment I was in the middle of just the most beautiful dream. And I remember laying there in the snow and talking to God. And I can remember very vividly saying, God, I don't know if I understood what I was doing when I was five. But I want you to know now, with everything I know now, that I believe in you and that I am going to follow you. That is a very vivid memory that I have. I remember in college sitting by a pond and talking to God again. And this time it was after planes had just flown into Twin Towers and the world was in chaos. I was actually in the States. I went to school in the States. And I remember having basically the same conversation with God. I don't know why this happened, but please just show me that you are here. And that was a moment when I could really feel God's presence with me. There are many times when I felt God was with me. There was the pregnancy with my youngest when we didn't know what was going to happen. But my husband and I both looked back at that time and realized we were extremely calm and not afraid at all. And it was as if both of us knew that everything was going to be fine, even though the doctors did not think it was going to be fine. There were times my father almost died and the miraculous healing that he had. And then there were times when God didn't answer my prayers, but instead changed my heart to accept what was. I've seen my life change both positively and negatively when I spend time with God in the Bible or when I let life just get too busy and I don't take time out with God. I've seen positive effects in our marriage when both Alex and I are in God's word. I'm not a Christian because of my childhood. I'm a Christian because of my whole life. And yes, God has shown his love for me. He showed his love when he placed me in a home where I would learn not only my letters and my numbers at an early age, but I would also learn about God. But God has continued to show his love for me. And I have a deep personal relationship with him. And I want to serve him. And it's in wanting to serve him that I have done pretty much anything good with my life. Starting homework clubs for kids. Um watching kids in low-income housing so that their moms could take cooking classes, running sports clubs in low-income housing so kids who would not normally get to go to sports camp could, telling people about the love of God and also showing that love. I've done all of that because I want to serve God. This is why Christians are far more likely to do good things in their community than atheists are. So that's my answer to that question. So on this last podcast for the next few months, I'm going to close with this. You might not believe in God, but he believes in you and he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And it's not hard. For you, it's not hard. For God, it was. He did the heavy lifting. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, died and rose again. All you have to do is believe. So today, call out to God. Tell him you're sorry for your sin. Ask him to forgive you. Tell him you believe Jesus is God and he alone can save you. I'm going to be back next week, but with a new podcast series for the summer on church history. In the meantime, for more podcasts, blogs, and videos, go to lauraleesiemens.com or find me on social media. 